concerning the glories of the young nun. This is also written in Harigati Palas. Akuras tab upam mantra nivesya charitopadi kaunja radam agatya snanam vidivad acharat. Akura asked the two lords to take their seats on the chariot, then taking their permission, he went to a pool in the Yamuna and took his bath as enjoined in the scriptures. So, I've been uh, recently reading, I think as I mentioned before, a book about uh, Christianity, a very famous minister about why, whether or not should you stay a Christian or not. And the first part of the book, he gives you all these reasons why you shouldn't, and the second part, he gives all these reasons why you should. And one of the things that he looks at at is conceptions of God, that the Christian conception of God as this old man, you know, sitting in a big throne and sending people to heaven and hell, uh, could be abandoned. But what he goes to is an impersonal conception. He goes to, well, we can just embrace, embrace God as the underlying force in everything, the underlying love in everything, the universe, the sense of love and connection between people. He, he goes to this very impersonal idea. And this is quite common in modern society, that people become disgusted with descriptions of a personal God who's just this nasty, vindictive old man, and they go to an impersonal idea. But in speaking about impersonalism, he goes into depth about nature and about how if we really want to connect with God everywhere and in everything, then we should learn to connect with nature, to hear God in nature, that the book of nature is just as valuable as the book of the scriptures. And I was thinking in in reading through this, and I started a correspondence with this extremely famous and very influential person in the that we're understanding of a personal God is a God of nature, a God who's very much involved in nature. We don't understand God as just sitting in the clouds in the throne, but we, he's walking on the bank of a river, he's walking through the forest, he's bathing in the river, yeah? And this is our, our understanding of a personal God and our understanding of connection with nature is not in opposition to one another. And I was thinking about one of the purposes of this time, which is to bring the members together for the purpose of teaching a simpler, more natural way of life. So this village life of Vrindavan and the nature of Vrindavan is nicely explained by Kavikanapur in the Ananda Vrindavan Chankhu that the forests of Vrindavan, the river of Vrindavan, they're not material. They're all alive and they're all personalities. So when Akura is bathing in the Yamuna, of course he's bathing in the Yamuna according to the Vidivada, according to the injunctions of scripture, because his mood is, is more vaiti than, than Raga. But even in this mood of vaiti, he's still very much absorbed in nature, in the Yamuna. And of course, the Yamuna is not uh, just some water. <laughs> and I wanted to, to look at the nature of the Yamuna, and then because today is Babamasumi, 
I also wanted to look at the origin of the forest of, uh, that's connected with Bakula, uh, and also the 12 forests of Rindavan, if we have time, the six seasonal forests of Rindavan. So first I wanted to turn to Bhaktivinoda Thakur's commentary on verse 9 of Srimana Shiksha Raghunathasko Swami. So there, Raghunathasko Swami has passed through all the inartas. He's come to the point of full humility. And there he is engaging in internal meditation in verses 9 and 10 and external behavior in verse 11. And his meditation in verse 9, what he's meditating on, is Krishna as the moon of the Vrindavan forest. Again, we have this conception of this personal God who's very involved in a natural, rural environment. Uh, then Radharani as his dear most object of love, and Lalita as the good friend, uh, Vishaka as the guru, and then the uh, Radhakun and Govardhan as giving the vision and the association and the service of the divine couple. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his commentary, of course this is Raghunathaswa Swami's personal meditation, so if one was in the mood of parental love towards Krishna, one wouldn't be meditating like this, one wouldn't be meditating on just Lalita Vishaka and Radhakun. Uh, this is his personal meditation. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur takes each of these, the Krishna, Radha, Lalita Vishaka, and Govardhan Radhakun, and he has a meditation on each of them in his commentary. Now for Vishaka, he doesn't exactly meditate on the Gopi Vishaka, but he quotes, um, he quotes these two verses first about Vishaka, that the Yamuna River is a non-different manifestation of Vishaka. And he quotes this prayer, I'm just going to read English, we offer prayers to the daughter of Surya, the sun god, the Yamuna river, where Lord Vishnu, Krishna, sports with the light and her waters, and whose spiritual body is Vishaka. So the river is a person. Right? Yesterday, I hear Prabhu was speaking about how the river is the wife of Lord Krishna, Kalindi, in Dwarka, but she's also the girlfriend of Krishna, Vishaka, in Vrindavan. And he's quoting Baladevi Jibhushana, saying, Sri Vishaka is considered to be the spiritual body of the Yamuna river. Thus, by humbly, humbly offering prayers to the Yamuna, one automatically offers prayers and worship to Sri Vishaka. And then Bhaktivinoda Thakur quotes wonderful prayers, the Yamunastika, by Rupa Goswami in his Stava Mala. And I don't think we'll have time to read all of it. I'll try. May Sri Yamuna, the daughter of the lotus friendly sun god, always purify me. So that's a chorus, which I won't read each time. She saves one from entering the abode of her brother Yamaraja, who punishes the sinful after death. She allows sinners who merely see her to cross over the ocean of sin. Through the sweetness of her waters, she binds the hearts of unlimited souls to herself. Her pleasing streams decorate the kind of a forest. Her lake is filled with hosts of lotuses, around which various birds dance and sing uproariously. Birds singing uproars. She neutralizes the terrible sins of those lowly souls who even just want to bathe in her waters. Just think of that. If you're just thinking, I want to bathe in the human She crushes the sins of those living entities who immerse themselves in her waters. She greatly enhances the flood 
of internal loving devotion to Krishna, the son of Nanda. Isn't that what we want? Right? Mahaprabhu drowned the, the world in a flood of love. So by bathing in the Yamuna, by wanting to bathe in the Yamuna, we get a flood of desire to serve Krishna. And repeatedly bestows auspiciousness on those who come in contact with her river banks. She penetrates the seven rivers of the Rig Veda, Sindhu, Sarasvati, Vitasha, Shutudri, Vipasa, Parushini, and Akshini, which are served by those who live near them. She knows all of Srimakunda's wonderfully divine pastimes, and with her abundant effulgence, she surpasses the beauty of a host of blue sapphires. She is beautifully decorated with the jewel of the circle of Matara around her. She increases the beauty of the path of Raghavati, for the Vaishnavas devoted to divine love. Her multitude of waves grab and serve the feet of he who has a lotus navel, Krishna. She is decorated with beautiful river banks around which herds of cows move happily. The Yamuna is adorned with many divine and fragrant rows of kadamba flowers. Have you ever seen kadamba trees? They're huge. Kadamba trees are really, really big. And they have these round flowers, like balls. She is very delighted by the association of devotees of Nanda's son, Krishna. She resounds with the joyful cries of Malikasha swans, those who are regulated by devotion, the Vaishnavas, the demigods, siddhas, and kinaras worship her. Even a trace of the fragrance from the mud on her riverbank decimates the bonds of material birth and death. Her waters, spiritualized by love pastimes of Krishna, flow through the lower, middle, and higher planetary systems. Her fame itself is sufficient to burn away the core of the toughest of sins. And she remains aromatically scented with the soap extract used by the son of Nanda, the cowherd leader. So Krishna likes to take, he likes to bathe. He bathes a lot, actually. Takes a lot of baths, which is interesting. He's the most purifying. Why would he have to take a bath? But for fun. Yes? He's taking baths at home and he goes swimming in rivers and goes swimming in ponds. So he has some soap extract that is very fragrance. Like often the soaps you buy has some fragrance, right? When I was recently in Gita Nagari, devotees gave me a packet of soap with different fragrances. And the soap that Krishna uses, the fragrance goes into the young. Now, Krishna, of course, Krishna has his own fragrance, the Chatusama, which is camphor, sandalwood, a guru, and a musk, which are musk is an animal fragrance. And if you've ever smelled real musk, which you probably haven't because it's hardly available in the world, but I was able to get some 400 year old ahimsa musk that I used, she used on my. She was a small. It's very animal <laughs> smelling. And then camphor, sandalwood, and a guru are all from trees. And they're all very, they're, they're, it's a very woodsy, very masculine scent. Of course, Krishna also has a scent of flowers like blue lotuses in his armpits. He has a blue lotus scent. And this all goes into the young. Of course, she has her own scent as well. 
O daughter of the sun god, are you with beautiful ways, O rescuer from all sins, may you increase the flood of Krishna bhakti of the person who, with a self-satisfied mind, glorifies you with these eight prayers. So I also wanted uh, to read a little something about the Yamuna from uh, Nandivrindavan Champu. And this morning when I was doing my puja, I was actually listening to Dear uh, Krishna Swami reading this from his audio book. It's a very it's like three minutes long, so I listened to it a couple times. This is from chapter one of the Ananda Vrindavan Champu. And what I really like about this is the river is described both as a goddess herself and as the ornaments on the goddess of Vrindadevi. So she's described, Kavikanapur describes her both ways that she's the ornaments of the goddess Vrinda and that she is her own goddess. And this is because everything in the spiritual world is a person. The garland around Krishna's neck, the necklace around Krishna's neck, the necklace and ornaments around the Krishna's girlfriends and cowboy boyfriends, they're all also persons. Do, do you follow? So Radharani's Oh, she's telling me about earrings. I thought she's telling me something about my face. Yes, yes, the earrings. The earrings are always kissing Krishna's cheeks. So the earrings are, they're ornamenting a person. And yet they are also in and of themselves persons. So the river Yamuna can be described as ornamenting a person and also being a person. Okay, the famous river Yamuna flows through the Vrindavan forest like a garland of blue lotuses, a moat of kajal, kajal is the black ornament they put in their eyes, a dark blue sari, or a necklace. Now, like as I'm reading this, think of which one you want to remember during the day. Right? This is your home, home fun assignment. So, if you can remember one thing about the Yamuna, and of course we have a river here on our property, a little creek, right? And Prabhupada wanted our properties to be replicas of the spiritual world. Like in New Vrachdam and Hungary, they understand the river to be the Yamuna. Right? Also in Inishraf in Ireland, like that. So we can meditate. The famous river Yamuna flows through the Vrindavan forest like a garland of blue lotuses, a moat of kajal, a dark blue sari, or a necklace of blue sapphires around the neck of Vrindadevi, the presiding deity of Vrindavan. Though agitated with waves, the Yamuna holds unlimited lotus flowers in her pure waters and always gives praying ananda, that's the bliss of love, to the devotees. Herons continually play in the waters and delighted fish swim in large schools. Yamuna grants happiness to anyone who surrenders to her or bathes in her sacred water. So that was the description of Yamuna as the ornament for Rindadevi. Now Yamuna is described as her own goddess. Yamuna is resplendent with a multicolored bodice composed of the many tiny Saibala creepers floating on her surface. The male and female chakravaka birds form her breasts. Her colorful dress is composed of the pollen from white lotuses. 
A swarm of meandering bumblebees serves as her hair braid. She has blue lotus eyes, red lotus lips, and a face of blossoming lotuses. Her hips are her wide banks, decorated with a belt of herons. Sonorous geese sing as her ankle bells. Geese are very sonorous. Very sonorous geese. I don't think of geese as being sonorous. Anyway, they're her ankle bells. They're very loud. They're very loud. She has very loud ankle bells. Yamuna Devi, the personification of bliss, worships Krishna by constantly offering him lotus flowers with her fickle wave-like hands. The flower-filled trees on her banks reflect in the water to appear like a second blossoming forest. Seeing the reflections of birds in the water, the foolish fish come there and nibble at them. At night, when they see the reflections of the stars on the water, the small fish, mistaking them for food, swim up to the surface and try to eat them. The shimmering white banks of the Yamuna appear like streams of camphor, or attractive lightning flashes in the dark, or sandwood paste smeared on the limbs of Rindadevi. So again, we have this description of Yamuna as, as ornamenting Rindadevi. Or malati garlands in the braids of a woman. I'm not going to be, don't have time to read the press. All right. So I want to go on now to another aspect of Rindavan, because today is Vandamasumi, and uh, the forest of Bahulavan also includes Radhakund. And so in celebration of Bahulavastami, people traditionally bathe in Radhakund. Somehow or other, that got mixed up in people's minds that this day is the day of the appearance of Radha. And this kind of thing happens. You know, people do something and then it becomes like a tradition and people forget where it comes from and then they repeat something that's not bona fide. Right? This happens all the time. So today is not the appearance day of Radha, although it is understood like that in the Vrindavan area and there are hundreds of thousands of people today who are going to be bathing in Radhakund. So this particular story is attributed to the Padma Purana. Once in the forest, and one in the forest of Vrindavan, a cow named Babula was peacefully grazing. She was the cow of a Brahmana. When a tiger attacked her, she asked the tiger, she said, I have a newborn calf who's hungry, and if you kill me right now, my little calf will be hungry and crying. Can I feed, please feed my calf first, and then I'll come back and you can eat me. So the tiger said, all right. So she did that. She went and he, she gave milk to her calf, and then she came back and said, okay, you know, here I am to eat you. So at this point, uh, the tiger and the, and the, the tiger appeared actually as Yamaraj, and Krishna also appeared and said, I'm so happy with your truthfulness uh, that she became one of the wives of Lord Krishna. She became one of the consorts of Lord Krishna and the forest of Bahulavan is named after her. So I wanted to look at the different forests of Vrindavan. And the forest of Vrindavan can be understood in two different ways. One as far as like Bahulavan and then one as the forest of the six seasons. 
So I wanted to first very, very quickly look at the six seasonal forests and then at the 12 forests of Vrindavan. So the six seasonal forests are described in the Ananda Vrindavan Champu in depth. They're also described in Govinda Lamrita. And they're described in many of the descriptions of Krishna's eightfold pastimes, particularly in the midday pastimes. So Krishna in his midday pastimes first goes to the spring forest, and in the spring forest they have a holy festival. Holy is the festival of spring, where they're throwing different colored flowers at each other and different colored dyes and Then they go to the monsoon forest. So the monsoon forest, it's, it's very humid, it's very hot and sticky. And when the weather's very hot and sticky, we like to have a fan. Yeah? So instead of just having a fan, what they like to do is swing. Because when you're swinging, you have the same effect as a fan. You understand? Like the air is, is blowing on you. So they go to the monsoon forest and we have a swing festival, of course, Krishna is sitting on a swing, on different swings with each of his billions of gopis. And then other gopi assistants and other assistants are swinging the swings, and of course these swings are all uh, decorated. Then Krishna goes to the autumn forest, and that's where the pearl pastime takes place. And also in the autumn forest is where they like to dance. And that's where they have dancing festivals in the autumn forest. Then there's the winter forest. So in the winter forest, Rinda Devi and her assistants, they provide very warm blankets and cloaks made of crimson, brown, and blue, and gold. And they drink honey wine in order to get warm. And then there is what often gets translated as the dewy forest, which I think is a strange translation. It's foggy. So if you're ever in Vrindavan in January, end of December or January, you know that it's very foggy, it's cold and foggy. So there's the foggy forest. It's a nice forest for Krishna and his and girlfriends to hide from the elders because you can't see anything in the fog. So there they drink a kind of nectar to stay warm and they also burn a lot of incense. And then it's interesting because the, the last, then there's some other pastimes and then Krishna goes to the summer forest. So he goes to the summer forest last he doesn't go in the order that they appear in this world, which would be spring, summer, monsoon. But he goes spring, monsoon, and summer at the end of, of the of foggy season. And in the summer forest, they engage, of course, what do you do in the summer? You play in the water. So there in the summer forest, they have water sports, and of course, there's various uh, syringes filled with different scented water and different colored water, and they have lotus battles in the summer forest. So that's one way of understanding Vrindavan. And again, we have, going back to what I was talking about at the beginning, our understanding of God as a person is God as a person who is living in the most natural... He's living in a forest. I mean, we say he's living in the village of Vrindavan, but actually he spends most of his time in the forest. His own fragrance is that of a forest. Yeah? And he's young. He's a young, playful god in the forest. I mean, he also is invited in Dwarka and he sits on a throne and so forth. Let's look at the 12 forests of Vrindavan, and they're related with the Yamuna. 
because there's five forests on the eastern bank of the Yamuna and seven on the western bank. So if you've been to Vrindavan, India, you cross the Yamuna. We're going to first go to the eastern bank here. And you come to Bhadravan, Bhadravan on the eastern bank. That's where Lord Balaram likes to play, especially. Then you have Bilvan, also called Belvan. So that's where there's bill fruit or bell fruit. And the Calder boys like to throw the fruit like balls. Right? We see even ordinary children, they enjoy playing with sticks and rocks and often they'll enjoy those more than very expensive metal and plastic toys. Yes, you'll, you'll go out and you'll buy a $100 toy for your child, but they'll prefer to go outside. My, my youngest son, Keisha, said, if you want to keep your children happy for hours, just take them outside. <laughs> so, you know, playing with sticks and grass and acorns. and So they would play with these fruits, and if you have bell fruit, it's very delicious. It's also very medicinal bell fruit juice. This is where Lakshmi is perpetually performing austerities which never bear any fruit because she wants to enter into the Rasalila as Lakshmi. And that's incompatible, so she never gets in here. But she does stay in Himdalva doing these austerities. Then there's Lohan, which is especially a nice place for grazing cows. It has many fragrant flowers. And this is a place where Krishna especially likes to have water sports with the boys. Bandiravan, one of my favorite places in Vrindavan, uh, this is where Lord Brahma performs the marriage of Radha Krishna. And there's a temple there of Radha Krishna deities where Krishna is putting kumkum in Radharani's hair. I used to go there all the time, but the family that I used to see there passed away. I don't go there anymore. And this is where Krishna and the coward boys like to wrestle. And then there's Mahavan. Mahavan is especially where Krishna has his early childhood pastime. So these are all on the eastern bank of the Yamuna. And they're going to the western side of the Yamuna. So again, all these forests are very connected with the description we already had of the Yamuna. We have Madhuvan. Madhuvan fulfills all desires. And this is a forest where the Lord appears in every yuga. Who was told by Narada Muni to perform austerities in Madhuvan? Dhruva Maharaj, yes. And this is where Shatrugna killed Lavanasura when Lord Ramachandra sent his brothers out. And Madhuvan is called Madhuvan because there's a lot of honey here. There's the Talavan. So why is it called Talavan? Because of the tal fruit. And of course, what pastime happens here? The killing of Vengasura. And if you go there, your life becomes glorious. Uh, Kamudavan is named after the Kamuda flowers, the water lilies. If you go there, your life becomes successful. And this is where Krishna has water pastimes with the gopis. And Bahulavan, of course, which is commemorating today the story of Bahula, the truthful cow, who becomes a consort of the Lord. And this is especially where Krishna likes to graze his cows. Then there's Kamyavan. Uh, to go to Kamyavan, you have to go a long, long, long way uh, in modern India over not very pleasant roads. And there's a de- big deity of Rindadevi there. And uh, it says if you go to Kamyavan, you'll be worshipped in the Lord's of abode. Now in present day Vrindavan, they say anyone who goes to Kamyavan and sees the deity of Rindadevi gets all their desires fulfilled. 
Viomasura was killed there, and you can still see the cave where Viomasura kept the cowherd boys when he pretended to be a cowherd boy and when they were playing cops and robbers. Uh, the Pandavas also stayed in this forest, Kamyavan, when they were in exile. Then there's Kaviravan, which is full of hydro flowers, and Bakasura was killed here. Bakasura was the demon who took the form of a crane. Right? And Krishna bifurcated his, he tried to swallow Krishna, and Krishna became very hot. Right? <laughs> but the coward boys were all very upset that Krishna was in Bakasura's And then there's, of course, Vrindavana. Uh, and Vrindavana is the forest where Krishna has the Rasalila, where he subdues Kaliya, where he swallows the fire right after the subduing of Kaliya. Uh, so, Krishna is a, is, the, is a personal god who lives in this personified, natural situation of forests and rivers and ponds and lakes, where all of the rivers and ponds and lakes and the forests and all of the flowers are all in and of themselves saintly persons or great uh, goddesses and gods. And this knowledge is really needed in the world. People in the world are becoming disgusted by most versions of religion that exist in the world today. A growing number of people are becoming atheists or some sort of vague spiritual, well, yeah, I'm spiritual, I don't have any religion, but I'm kind of spiritual, which, what does that mean? They keep crystals on their shelf or something. You know, it's, people are really, really fed up with, this, with the concepts of God that are full of hatred and persecution that are described in the major religions of the world. And in their frustration, they are turning to atheism, voidism, and impersonalism. It's a, it's a serious problem. It's a problem also for those who follow the Vedas. How many of them are impersonalists? But we have this beautiful, wonder, wonderful description of a personal God. We have a description of a personal God who does keep you in harmony with nature, who doesn't teach you to have dominion over the earth so that you, you know, destroy the planet and you kill all the animals and you pollute all the rivers. And it's not the God that we worship. We worship a God who plays in the forest, who plays in the rivers, who loves the flowers. I remember when my father first visited a temple in Chicago where I moved in the ashram. He said, are all those flowers real? <laughs> so this, this is our, our understanding and to share it with the, with the world. We have something really wonderful to share with the world. And it's, it's unique. There, there really isn't any other religious system in the world who's teaching this conception of this beautiful, young forest god as the supreme lord of all creation. There's nobody. And really, Krishna is Krishna. He's very attractive. Who would not be attracted to Krishna? So, 
set me with my heart, right? So questions, comments? Yes, Maharaj. Uh, yeah, you're glorifying the Demut, which I found very pleasing. Uh, let me ask this question. And uh, in the Puranas, it's described that as Kaliya progresses, uh, Yamuna and the Goranath Hill disappear. Yeah. So at this particular point, uh, Yamuna is not I mean, at least the water. Of the Yamuna is not spiritually, spiritually, she's there. But but there have been some cases of people who have the Yamuna have gotten extremely sick, and even some people have died recently. Yeah, so for those so, of you online, I was talking, is talking about how the, that the water of Jamuna has been diverted, it's no longer flowing so, to so the one just meditate, bathing in the Jamuna, or, I mean... What should we do about bathing in the Jamuna, is your question? Yeah, yeah. Well, one can do one of, of two things, or both of them. One can meditate on bathing in the Jamuna. I would not go into the water called the Jamuna in Rudavan today, because it's not Jamuna water, it's just the industrial waste from Delhi. Uh, that's all it is. The Jumuna, or you can go to where the Jumuna is actually flowing and bathe there. But that's not in the Dalit. It's not in the Dalit. But she's still the Jumuna. So one yeah, could, I mean, outside of the Dalit, does the Jumuna expand herself? She's, only, she's still the Jumuna. Yeah, I know, as an expansion of Jumuna. <coughs> I mean, just like when Krishna leaves for Dalit. Oh, I don't know. Maharaj is asking, when Krishna leaves Vrindavan, he's in his uh, Vasudev form. If Jamun is out of Vrindavan, is she in another form? I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard anybody talk about that. You have to go to the, uh, to the Jamun before it gets to Delhi, that's all. Yeah, you have to go to the Jamun before it gets to Delhi. Yeah. And then it would be the Jamun. But is that a different manifestation of the Jamun? I don't know. So, so is Jamun So in other words, she's in Prakatai form. She's in an unmanifested form right now in Vrindavan. And then Govardhan. And Govardhan will eventually also. I mean, there are a number of people, uh, even not Hare Krishna devotees, who are working to try to rectify the situation with Yamuna. I mean, we certainly have a number of ISKCON members who are doing this, but there's a lot of, even just for lack of a better term, pious Hindus, <laughs> or people who care about the ecology in India, who are working very hard to try to, to rectify the situation with the Yamuna. And definitely part of our mandate from Srila Prabhupada is to have ecological awareness and to try to, to work for ecological balance in, in the world. I was going to say that one of the, one of the factors that uh, turns people away from God is because in their conception of God is that he is completely indifferent mm-hmm. and doesn't care. doesn't care, so what should I do? Ah, so Rani's saying people also turn from God because they think he's indifferent, he doesn't care. This is the absolute transcendent idea of God, that he's totally separate from the world. So this is a, a big discussion, which is, of course, throughout the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam, how Krishna's manifest in the light of the sun, the light of the moon, the taste of water. He's most caring, he's everywhere. He's not, he's, he's not personal. Yes. He's a very loving person. Yeah. 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 Yeah.